it just feels like the industry is back and, and, you know, people still care about, you know, the elements on a table and, and what they're doing. On, you know, it's, it's good to be back. There are so many different skills, industries, passions and simple hard work that support the restaurant world. Farmers and producers, obviously, wholesalers and truckies, architects and designers, equipment suppliers. Today, we're chatting to the guy who makes the plates, another restaurant essential. Sam Gordon is a third generation potter living in country Victoria. His creations are seen in top Australian restaurants and as far afield as New York. Sam, welcome to Dirty Linen. Oh, thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me. It's uh, really great to have you on the show. I think it's really important to shine a light on all the sort of ancillary uh, industries that support hospitality. Tell us a little bit about your world. Well, yep. Yeah, no, like you said, I'm a, a third generation potter. Um, I, you know, my grandparents had a pottery in Jembrook and my father worked for them um, and then he left in his 20s and, and started Robert Gordon Pottery, which was great. And I was there for... 20 years and, and now I've just gone out on my own in the last 12 months. So it's been an interesting 12 months working from home um, in, a, in a studio. And yeah, it's, I mean, I was only ever going to be a potter. So it was, um, and hospitality is where I, you know, I, I just love the industry and I'm always drawn to that. Um, I guess I was always going to be supplying chefs pottery. What was it like um, as a kid growing up with um, people who are engaged with pottery all around you? Well, yeah, it's all I've ever known, but mum and dad first started the studio at home, much like it's funny how I'm mirroring my parents' life. It was pretty bizarre, actually. I, I never thought I'd be having my own studio at home at the age of 40, but it was, it's been good. But I, yeah, we had you know, 20 potters at home in Jembrook in a, in a shed um, opposite mum and dad's house. And it's, it's just, clay is a really bizarre thing. It's, it, it draws all different people like, you know, um, from any different skill set, they'll come in and, and have a go at it like the chefs or, or, you know, architects or something. Clay is such an unusual medium where they, people gravitate to it. Like his classes and things like that have never been busier, but it's, I don't know. I just, you know, I love clay. I did a commerce. I did half a commerce degree and things like that and then went into the industry. But um, I, I just love being at home and seeing the potters and, you know, from from the age of, you know, probably 10, you know, I'd be out there um, weighing the clay out for the throwers, so the guys on the pottery wheels and things like that. So it's, it's just always been around me. Yeah, so interesting. Um, so Robert Gordon is a brand that a lot of people would have heard of. Um, tell us about how that business grew. Did everything always stay handmade or was there is there sort of another way that you go when you start to scale up? No, it was – it grew – so mum and dad started the business in the late 70s um, and they sold to markets um, all handmade out of a studio in Jembrook and then that grew fairly quickly and they moved to the base where they are now in Pakenham um, and then in the mid-90s, Australian May just wasn't, wasn't popular. It just, you know, people were importing and things like that so dad made the decision to do both so he – Imported product um, from various places, mainly China, and 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 held onto the manufacturing base, and we just had to compete on pricing. It's so difficult to get that that price point right with Australian made. Um, it's interesting, like restaurants, when you make a plate, there's a bit of a cap on a price for Australian made. Like you can't 
it's impossible to sell a plate over thirty dollars, whether it's worth that or not, or you know that's a different argument. But restaurants just can't afford it, even the best. They if they break a plate, it's thirty dollars. But in retail world, if they buy a plate from you at thirty dollars, they've got to try and on sell that for to get their margin, so it becomes sixty or seventy dollars. But the restaurant industry can absorb a plate at th- you know. Um, they don't have to worry about marking up, so that's always. But so Robert Gordon grew, and yeah, no, importing was is a major part of it. I guess that's what they do, um, and also manufacture there. They've got thirty odd staff. Um, yeah, it's a, a wonderful business. Yeah, yeah. And so, what was it that made you want to um, do things a little bit differently and go uh, out on your own? Oh, I think after twenty years, um, it was always led by mum and dad, and and then after twenty years of you know working with your siblings, it's it's hard. You know, where there's four four siblings there, so Hannah, Kate, Bobby, and myself, and you know four very creative people, you know, four very um, you know strong egos and things like that. It was just one of those things where I, I felt it was time that you know I wanted to branch out and do my own thing and let them. You know, have a go at doing what they do there. You know, it was just, I don't know, family businesses are tough if I'm, if I'm really honest. It was a very hard time for me to leave. I, I love that company so much, but I just knew that I think the time was right for me to go. Yep. And was there, a, was there a catalyst? Was there someone that you spoke to or a client that, you, that said, yeah, I'll support you that made that sort of transition, made you, yeah, catalyze that decision? Yeah, yeah, no, certainly. Um, yeah, funny you mentioned that. No, definitely. Um, Matt Wilkinson down at Montelto, who I've known for a long time, and like like yourself, these people who you supply, are, you know, not just customers, they're dear friends. And I think Matt had forecast this before I even knew it, that he, he just sat me down and said, mate, it's time for you to have a go on your own. And, and he definitely, definitely supported me um, and really helped me through that time. Um, yeah, he's a great friend. Yep. Yeah, Matt. Mm, that's that's so interesting. And and was he already using Robert Gordon plates, or was it was he looking for a new some new plateware for for Montalto? Uh, he was looking for new plateware for Montalto, and he and he definitely was always a supporter of Robert Gordon. He's a supporter, you know, like um, you know, it's a, uh, Robert Gordon's got such a broad base of things, and so I'm you know a one man band on a pottery wheel at the moment. But he wanted something very select for Montalto, where. Um, I used some of their clay off the property and I burnt their their vines and used that in the glaze and used some of their clay. Um, I blended some of their clay into the plates and things like that, which was a good, you know, it's just a, such a hands-on project. So it was, it was lovely. Yeah. Wow, that's really amazing to have those those elements of the earth and 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 the agriculture in a plate that people can then use in a in a restaurant. I mean, I'd love you to just talk about you know what does it feel like to go through that creative process. Um, you know, I've only ever made very wonky things on pottery wheels. Uh, talk me through what it feels to make something really good. Oh, I. I still make wonky plates. Don't worry about that. Um, I think pottery is one of those things you never learn. I like it's just you, you continue to learn. Sorry, it's it's such a yeah. It's you you never stop learning and you will make wonky plates. But that that energy you get from a handmade plate is so different than a mass produced plate. Like I never, when you sit down in a restaurant, it's been made specifically for those guys, and they've come out to your studio and they've sat down with you, or you've dug the earth from their property, and and used it in there. It's like it. For me, it's like it's just mind blowing when you sit there and, and look at it being used to. But I always suffer from when I make something and I give it to a chef, I'm horrified. Like I go, oh shit, sorry, sorry, Matt. Like you know, it's not quite 
the 25 centimetres, 24 and a half centimetres or something like that. It's like, <laughs> it's really difficult handing over a piece of your work at the start and it's, I don't know, it's like standing naked in front of someone and saying, is this okay? You know, like, is it, I, I don't know if this is all right. Like, is this, you know, is it okay? You know, it's like, it's it's really quite, you lay everything out bare when, you, when you've made something 100% of your own all the way through and then you give it to a chef, you're like, shit, is this okay? You know? Mm, yeah. I mean, because I suppose when you're making something, maybe you make, I don't know, a hundred of something for someone, it's like, I guess you do need that consistency, but then you also do want that real handmade feel in all of them, don't you? Like those, I mean, those imperfections or those variations, that must be part of it as well. Yeah, there's a few non-negotiables with restaurants where you've got to make sure that it's fully vitrified. So that means no water can absorb into the plate and break it down over time. So when you look at um, some really old crockery, you'll see the spider lines in it, like a web, and that's starting to break down that plate because it's had water absorb into the body. So you want you don't want that. So you want something that is fully vitrified and can't absorb water over time. You want something that's got a stack, you know. And I always make sure of that. So it's it's just a non-negotiable. Otherwise, you just can't supply the industry. You'll do one order, and then it gets around pretty quick that your plates break. You know, so it's. Um, yeah, your reputation's everything with that. Yeah, that's so interesting. So what are some of the other um, variations in clay and glaze that you've been working on that, that you're really excited about? Yeah, um, at the moment I'm working with Josh Nyland and Julie in Sydney, Julie Nyland, um, and they've sent me down some fish bones. So I, what I've done with those, I've calcified those fish bones at 1,000 degrees. So I get a raw fish bone from sent down in the post and, I, and then I – I fire those fish bones to a thousand degrees and then I crush them and I add that to the glaze and it just adds a beautiful kind of transparency to the glaze. Yeah. But it's also getting using a product which is otherwise in the bin. And that, I mean, wow, that's amazing. Like, did you know that you could do that or is that just part of a process of experimentation? No, I knew. I mean, pottery, everything's been done in ceramics before. Like, you're never going to reinvent the wheel in pottery, but it's just a matter of going back and having a look through some old, you know, books and magazines and, you know, you, you, it's often there. Potters are a great forever because everything's so tight. Like, we're, you know, we've always recycled clay if something breaks or, you know, during the process we always try and recycle it or, you know, we just – yeah, you know, it's just what we do is try and um, save every little bit, you know, and ingredients like that are, are you know, we use for hundreds of years. Yep. Ah, so what else might you put in the in the plates that I might not have thought of? Well, a lot of plates do have a quite a large percentage of bone ash. So not just in the glaze, but in the body itself. So that makes it a, quite stronger. So bone china, for instance, is is 40% bone ash. So 40% of that weight of that plate is, is actually bone ash. Um, and then you can get varying degrees for stoneware or porcelain. Um, yeah, so a lot of plates what you can use would, would have um, a percentage of, of real bone ash. Give us a sense of the setup. It must be so different having been in this family business where things are happening at scale and have been done for, for a number of decades to setting up your own studio where it's it's just you. Like, is it like um, a writer going up to the garret to try to you know he's, um, find 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 the muse, or um, is it yeah? What's it like? 
Oh, look, the studio, it's a, it's a shed. It's 50 metres away from my house. I have a... I have two pottery wheels there. I have a friend who comes up on a Tuesday, Eddie, and he helps me catch up on a bit of work. But, um, yeah, like I was just telling – I had Jason up from the Stokehouse yesterday and I was just telling him it's – like previously I had industrial designers, mould makers, um, packaging experts, import, export, expert. Or, you know, like I had anything there I could go ask and it would be done in a day. But now, like if it, – it's just hands-on, isn't it? Like everything packaging to, to making – mixing my own glazes to – um, mixing my clays and everything like that. It's me or, or my wife Carrie helps me out and, and we do it. Or we've got to go get boxes from Dandenong. We jump in the car and we drive down and buy boxes, the right shape and size. You know, everything, it's, it's quite it's, – it's, it's been a real eye-opener for me and things which um quite humbling, I guess. Yeah. yeah, right, interesting. And, you know, for people who are eating in restaurants, you know, what – what how, how do you think people should think about the plates that, that are in front of them? Oh, I love. I would love the industry not to consider. Well, I, I don't. Just speaking for myself, I, I'd love the industry to, to look at a potter as they look at a farmer, like it, like a you know the relationships that chefs have with a butcher or you know their their um yeah the vegetable supplier or their fish supplier. I just I would love nothing more than that to be that kind of heartfelt relationship and how they they come out to the studio and they look and see what you do and how it gets to the table it's you know i don't, I don't want to be considered an artist or or something like that i just want to be considered a, a a supplier sometimes potters get mixed up into being an artist or a commodity item like a, a knife and fork or something not to take away from you know that industry but it's i, I think a plate a potter should be considered like a supplier like a beef supplier if that makes sense or a baker yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose, you know, restaurants are so often looking for those those ways of expressing their own identity. And I suppose if, you know, someone like yourself that they feel like they can collaborate with, um, it really helps them tell your story, but also their own story through these, um, yeah, through these objects, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. The amount of pride you get from getting getting the job done right and when you see a chef like Matt played up on your plates and, and seeing it come to the table and it just fits like a glove and you're like, yes, that is such a sense of pride. And it would be for like one of those suppliers like Yarra Valley Caviar or someone like that where you see it there and you're like, wow, you know, it's just such an enormous amount of pride what we get when we see that. Mm, so beautiful. And what about like different shaped vessels? Like do you ever work on something like, you know, oh, we need it to hold four oysters or we need it to be this shape for that fish? Are there those kinds of projects as well? Yeah, absolutely. I had, a, I had an interesting meeting last week with Curtis Stone and he's got obviously a steak restaurant in LA and he wants to, um, to highlight one of his dishes, um, a large tomahawk steak on a plate. So I'll make a specific plate just for that dish and they're the fun they're really fun projects they're really good i enjoy doing that yep yep one plate i'll never make though is a square plate i just hate square plates <laughs> <laughs> why is that i don't know i just think it's oh, just bad whoever like that really sharp looking 90s plate i'm just horrified by them when i see them i don't know why i don't know i don't know it's because i'm a potter and everything's round you know it comes off the wheel and it's round and that's it and i see something square it just absolutely throws me it's terrible <laughs> can you can you make a square plate on a round wheel I'd, I'd, I'd have to make a large round and then cut it down yep 
Yeah, yeah. right. So and maybe I couldn't, do, I couldn't do it. I don't care who it's for. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. There's notice. No one, no one asks Sam to make a square plate. Although I agree, I do. I think there is something. It does feel, yeah, a bit dated. And I suppose we are. I guess when you're relating to the natural environment more, as so many chefs are trying to do. I guess, yeah, those sharp lines aren't necessarily where it's at. Yeah, yeah. No, it's something. It's. I don't know why. It's just like fingernails on a blackboard to me I'm just like oh yeah (laughs) love it um and what about your own kids Sam do they love to get into the studio and and throw some clay around yeah they do yep especially the middle one like they all do but Sophia I think the middle one um she she's you know really creative it's interesting like you can give someone a ball of clay and and the way they hold it I can tell if they're kind of natural with it. Like chefs are really good actually. When because they're working with their hands all day, and they go, I want to come up and show me on the wheel a little bit. And you give them like literally a ten minute lesson, and they're making plates. It's it's really worrying actually. Like I had Jason up <laughs> yesterday from the Stoke House, and he was just incredible. He made like two plates, and they were perfect. I said, mate, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, no, the kids are. Sophia, the middle one, has certainly got the grasp of of clay. Mm, that is really interesting. I mean, a lot of chefs are making making stuff, including plates. But would you would you would it be that stackability, that consistency? I'm sure there's a lot that you can bring to it that perhaps, um, yeah, the the part time potter couldn't. No, it's just the volume thing. It's it's yeah, you're right. It's making sure each one is going to stack and and literally sitting there for eight hours a day. You know, bending over a pottery wheel, getting up, wedging the clay, grabbing, you know, making sure the firing is okay. There's there's a lot. Like I can make a plate in about three minutes on a wheel, but then to put it through the kiln, to dry it slowly, to to glaze it, to fire it, it, it's a long process. It takes, you know, the quickest you could get a plate out would be five days, you know. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say I do really appreciate the synergy between a dish and the right plate um, and there, there is certainly a pleasure in eating from that and also using beautiful, beautiful crockery at home. So, yeah, I really appreciate the work that you do and the energy that you put into it, Sam. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say? No, I think, I mean, I touched on it before, but I, I, I love, you know, we got through, everyone got through COVID and, and things like that. And now it's, it just feels though like there's a, there's a really good energy back in Melbourne and, and, you know, I travel a fair bit too. And I went back to New York um, a few weeks ago and it just feels like the industry's back and, and, you know, people still care about, you know, the elements on a table and, and what they're doing on, you know, it's, it's good to be back is what I'm saying, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Well, yeah, congratulations on what you're doing and um, I look forward to encountering your plates in some great restaurants around Australia and further afield. Um, thanks so much for sharing with us today. No, thank you, Danny. Thank you for your time and, and thank you for everything you do. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.